If you're ready to take action to create the life and business you want and be surrounded by courageous, like-minded warriors, entrepreneurs, creatives, and professional freelancers supporting each other and feeling the fear and doing it anyway, I invite you to join my free online community, Momentum Warriors. Just head over to www.momentumwarriors.com now. You're listening to Transitions Podcast. Learn how to make money doing what you love, become more confident, create a positive impact, and have the lifestyle that you want with marketing consultant and small business advisor, Anthony Chansamuth. Hey, warriors. Thanks for tuning in to episode five of Transitions Podcast. I'm super excited to bring you this episode because my guest this time is Sean Phelps, who is a medium. She channels guidance from your essence or spirit, an author, teacher, and blogger. Sean is someone that has helped me a great deal on my own journey as an entrepreneur, and I trust that her insights will be beneficial to you. This interview was actually recorded in August of 2014, not too long after actor Robin Williams sadly passed away. But I've been waiting patiently to release this interview because Sean and I explore the true self versus the false self. And this topic is one that I've been exploring personally for quite some time now. At the end of the episode, I will also let you know about an event that I'm crazy excited about. So do hang on for that, for that announcement. All right, it's time for you to meet Sean Phelps. Let's get into it. Hey, it's Anthony Chansmooth here from Confidentpreneur, and I've got with me one of my favorite people in the whole world, Sean Phelps, who is based in Toronto. Uh, let me give a bit of background of who this amazing person is, and then we'll formally invite her to the show. So, Sean it grows leaders by giving them clarity on who they are, their true and false self, and we're going to talk a bit about that today, why they're here and how they can make a difference at their highest potential. She has studied the subconscious mind for 20 years, including 13 years of intimately studying her own subconscious mind through meditation practice. So Sean's an expert on story structures as an author and former business journalist, and she's currently working on her second book about a framework she created that helps people get more clarity in their lives. So want to excitedly welcome Sean to the show. Hi, Sean. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Okay, so let's talk about 20 years of meditation and even let's go back before that, like formal education. Did you did you go and study at university or did you go straight into the, the career or how did that work out for you? That's a, a long story, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to make it short. I, I took quite a rambling uh, path to my career. Okay, so I went to college for journalism, except I was so full of anxiety and fear that I started having panic attacks and I, I couldn't do it. I, I started skipping class and I flunked, I flunked out. I, I went from a straight A student in my first semester to like a failing student when we ha- had to do interviews. So I switched to a different course, switched to a different course. I ended up taking legal assistant. I did that. I became that. I hated that. I'm not the kind of person who's very good at being subservient to others. Um, So when I was working at a law firm, I decided to pick up my old dream to be a journalist and I applied to university. So at that point, you know, I was 22 when I started university at Ryerson for the journalism program. 
And even that was a rambling thing because I was there for three years and then I ran off to Australia with a guy I was madly in love with and traveled around for a year and I got articles published there and things like that. And that wasn't the first time I got published actually was in Australia, still have it. And then I returned and I had to save money for a year because I was broke. And then I went back and did my final year of university. So I did not graduate from university until I was 28 years old. So, yeah. And that was obviously just the beginning. I mean, I've done so many things from then that would take up your whole show. <laughs> uh, that's okay. That's okay. Because I, what I like about that your background and, and, you know, the, you switching degrees, I did that. I didn't do it as many times, but I actually, I certainly did it, you know, and I think that that highlights something about what you talk about is that like, because you, you, you shared with me when I was in Toronto, this three part, you know, the three stages or three chapters or what did you call them? Three parts of your life. And I think that first oh, yes. part of the, of, yeah, the first part is all about discovery. Mm-hmm. And I think it's actually pretty common that people change degrees. And I think that's, that's isolated to you, you or I. You know, we're like 18 or whatever it is, 22 or whatever. And how the hell are we, we going to know what we're going to do, right? No way. Exactly. You know, and I'm 35 and I still don't know what I'm going to do. So <laughs> um, that's that's part of the journey. So let's, let's talk about that. So, okay, you went and you traveled. You, you went to Australia and then you, you did a lot of traveling or more than, like, I'd say, a lot of people that I know. Yeah. You know, and probably in your own circle. What was that like for you and what were you looking for in, in that journey? Well, I was looking for a lot of things, but really I was looking for a sense of self. I was looking for happiness. I was looking for deeper satisfaction with my life. When I went up on my big trip, my seven-month journey through Asia, I was working at a major national business magazine, which is called um, Financial Post Business. And, you know, I felt very stifled there. I felt very unhappy. So I took off and went to Asia for seven months to try to find out where I went wrong and see if I could figure out how to be happy, you know? So that was really the beginning of where I'm at now. That was 2001 or actually it was more like, yeah, it was around 2000, 2001. So it's been a long journey from there to here. And I think that's an important thing for your listeners to know is that this journey never really ends. You know, it's just, it's one discovery after another. And the important thing is to really listen to yourself and enjoy the journey, (laughs) you know? Absolutely. Uh, so what were, I guess, the significant learnings or, or what did you take out of the Asia trip? I know there's probably a whole stack of things and I've read your book, so I know some of the stories in there. But I, I guess, you know, if there were like critical insight that you got from, you know, being in Asia mm-hmm. or, or on top of that, I think you, you ascended one of the, the highest peaks in Nepal or something, I don't know, and you were like, couldn't breathe and, and <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, so so. What did you actually get from that experience? Wow. Yeah. Where, where can I start with that? I'm going to start version. with <laughs> yeah, the very abridged version. The, one of the most important things I learned in, in Asia, I mean, I'd been meditating for years on and off, but really I'd been sort of a tourist meditator. You know, I had just sort of dropped in on this type and that type of meditation. I hadn't really used it as a, as a serious tool. When I went to Asia, the first thing I did was a 10-day meditation retreat, Vipassana retreat, which I know you've done as well. And that shifted my whole life. That was the beginning of a major shift. I mean, 10 days is a really powerful thing when you're spending whatever it is, 8, 10 hours a day, 
staring at your own thoughts. And what I saw in that, that was so valuable was that all these problems that I thought were being caused by outside things were being caused by inside things. <laughs> you know, I, I saw inside of myself where the roots of some of these problems were. And it was humbling and it was awkward. And it was also very valuable because then when I traveled through Asia and I did, you know, do things like go over the mountains in Tibet and stuff like that, and I started freaking out or, you know, being scared, I was able to observe my thoughts and sort of pull back to that place where I could find some center, you know, where, I, where you can actually do those things. I really like that. That was the path for you to then turn the mirror inward. And I know that, so in this course that I'm, I'm creating right now, which is all about passion, dream and career, the, the focus really is on helping people gain insight into that, which is really themselves. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, take away the buzzwords for a moment. And what I'm discovering is when people are sharing with me, you know, what their challenges are in their careers, a lot of it comes down to, I'm not really sure who I am. That's very interesting in the sense that you know these people have been in their careers for 10 15 years and then they just feel like like you said you were in 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 a place where you were feeling stifled and i think Mm -hmm. that's kind of the parallel that i'm getting from these people who are applying to be part of this program why do you think that is why do we you know it's not a it seems to me it's not again a rare occurrence it's like there's more and more people that i talk to who go through this you know like in their 20s and 30s or i say more so the 20s right now and Mm. certainly some in the 30s but yeah they just feel like i'm lost or i'm i'm stuck where does that come from well what what's your sense of that yeah i have a very strong um ideas about that my idea is that it it comes from the, the, the divide between who we really want to be and who we think we need to be. And sometimes we're so caught up in who we think we need to be, we actually believe it's who we want to be. We convince ourselves of that. We have this sort of emptiness inside or this sort of stagnant, stuck feeling. And it's very confusing because we're thinking, I should be happy. I have, you know, maybe I have good income. I have good status. You may be married and things may be working well, but yet there's this sort of emptiness that's still there and it's confusing for us. And the reason that it's happening is because we're not living as what I call our true self. We have a true self and we have a false self and everybody has a false self. It's not a rare occurrence, <laughs> you know, and it happens. It's formed during our childhood so that we can be accepted so that we can fit into our environment and survive basically our environment. So whatever we think we need to be is who we'll become. And by the time we've reached our teens, we have so completely taken on that identity that we no longer realize that it's not really us. We think it's us. And of course, the divide is still there because our true self is still there going, hey, I'm here. Like, I, I want to do some other stuff, you know. And, you know, your, your false self is like, no, we, you know, we need to do this to be accepted in society. And this is who we are. So there's this little war that goes on inside of you. And... Usually when that feeling starts coming up that you want to do something else, it's a great sign. You know, it's a wonderful sign. It means that your true self is holding up its hand and going, hi, I like, I want to, you know, I want to have some fun. I want to live my life too. So yeah, that, that's my take on that, that even though it seems like a horrible thing when it happens, and I know people going through it right now, it's actually a gift 
it's actually a gift because it's a chance for you to shift into something where you can feel much more alive, much more real, much more authentic. That's really powerful. And I want to like now, that, that, I guess, talk about the piece you wrote about Robin Williams, because, you know, that was an example that you shared of the false self kind of ruling someone's life mm-hmm. and to the point where he actually led to his death. So I guess what's the, the, the takeaway from, from the Robin Williams experience that, that you mm-hmm. can share with, with people listening right now? Mm-hmm. Well, first, just to uh, make clear, obviously I've never met Robin and this was really just more of a case study based on my understanding. And I read about 40 articles about his, his life and his childhood and what I, what I saw was what I see in, in all people. It's not just in Robin, so it's not just him. But he was an extreme example in that his true self was actually an introvert. His true self was someone who didn't have the energy really to be out there. But his false self learned that the way to get love in this world is by making people laugh and, and entertaining them and making them happy. So... You know, unfortunately, like it's it's great to be someone who's funny and makes people happy. But when you think that's part of your identity or your value, it can lead to this huge conflict. So what really ended up happening, I think, to him was just he was just so exhausted. He was just it's very tiring living as your false self. And I know as an introvert who has tried to live as an extrovert. I mean, I ran a charity for five years, as you know, and I had to get up and speak on stage and stuff like that. That kind of stuff is pretty hard for me. I do enjoy it. And I can do it sometimes, but doing it all the time the way he did, if you're an introvert, it's very taxing on you. So I feel like what happened for him was this just this divide that 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 sort of brought him to a place where he felt his true self was so depressed, you know, I was like, I'm I'm not getting a chance to be me, that things just sort of imploded. I mean, obviously he had Parkinson's and you know, he did have a difficult childhood and not everybody realizes that. Um, he, he was not abused, but, he, you know, his father was extremely strict. His parents were wealthy. They were often weren't home. He was raised by the maid. You know, it was, it was not an ideal childhood. Interesting thing. A couple days ago, it might even just been yesterday, I saw that Dr. Gabor Mate, who's one of my heroes, wrote a blog almost exactly like mine, saying almost mm. exactly the same thing. And that made me happy because it made me feel like, yes, you know, I got it right. Because, you know, obviously when you write about somebody else, especially someone you can't meet and talk to, you're worried that you aren't, you know, that you can't really get, I'm pretty good at getting inside people's stories, but if I don't meet them, I can't be sure. So when I read his take, I thought, okay, at least I was probably close because he, Dr. Gabor said the same stuff I did. Yeah, it's really, really fascinating. Um, And I, uh, I would contend that people who are, either listening to this or, or going through an experience, definitely have a sense of, say, real real self versus false self. And and I think what comes up for people is, you know, when they get to that point where it's kind of like, oh, I really feel like there's more to me or there's more to my life than what I'm doing now. And then you get into that what comes up is this place. It's almost like you're standing on the, on, on the edge. And because and, what comes up is all right if i move forward and i really step like release the false self try and you know kind of um like allow the true me to shine then i'm losing my identity 
Yeah. And that means there's going to be fallout because I'm going to, the risk here is I lose my friends because they're all mm-hmm. built on, on the, you know, on premise of the false self. And then, then what happens? Because, you know, that's a lot of fear comes. I'd imagine through your experience, you dealt with a lot of fear. I mean, you had social anxiety, I mean, with social anxiety and different things that you deal with. Yeah. You know, how did, what kind of practical, I guess, steps could you, could you advise around how did you handle that? And, and, and what, if someone's listening to this, what can they do about that, that fear? <laughs> it ain't easy. <laughs> I mean, I often say, you know, this path of living your true self, it ain't for sissies, you know. I mean, it's, it, it, it leads to great riches, great emotional and spiritual riches. It, it's, it's obviously way more fulfilling than living as your false self. But it is, you know, it's like Matrix. You know, you're taking the other pill and there's no way back. Once you get going on that path, things will shift. Things will change. People will fall away. And it's for the best. It doesn't feel like it at the time. I would say a lot of things in my life have fallen away and changed and it was hard when it happened. What got me through it was a deep understanding of why I wanted to step into my true self. And that reason is because I've always wanted to contribute at my highest potential. You know, I want to give my special thing to the world, make the world better. And that's the magic of living as your true self. When you live as your true self, you make the world better just by being you. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to come up with a way to, to save people. You'll just be helping people as you, because you have a way to do that. And it's there embedded in your true self. So I always knew that that's what I wanted very much. And when things got really hard, that was really the thing that kept me going was, you know, you probably call it your why, right? What's my why? A lot of people talk about it that way. And I think that's a big part. But I mean, obviously, there's other stuff that needs to happen. You need a support system, right? Like you and I are friends and we are surrounded by friends who who do this stuff, who are on this path. You, you have to search those people out. When I started on this path, I didn't know anybody doing that stuff. I was very, I was a, re, a recluse, really, to some extent. I'm a, I'm a writer and I'm an introvert. So I was really a, very much a recluse. And I had to push myself out there. I mean, I, I went out, my first foray into meeting people was couch surfing, which is, you know, <laughs> which was an interesting experiment for me because I'm very shy and kind of, you know, it's hard for me to just go to events and, and talk to people. And, and so that was my first foray. And then I went out into this sort of permaculture community and then community, I went into community volunteer work and I started doing a lot of volunteer work. And that was all while I was doing this work on myself, these years of meditation and sort of self-therapy and, you know, intentions and whatever else I could find, frankly, that looked like it would help. So being, being part of these communities kept me going, even though it took me a while to find my actual spiritual community that I'm in now that rocks and I'm just so grateful every day. I had a number of communities on the way there who, were, who also helped me very much in different ways. So I think, yeah, community is probably, without it, you're, you're, gonna, you're, you're probably not going to make it. Or it's going to be very unpleasant anyway. <laughs> you know, we need people. <laughs> we, we, we're social beings. Even us, even us introverts, we need people. You know, we need friendship and stuff like that. Well, I think that speaks to the, you know, um, a natural human desire to belong. And I observe that in a lot. We, we try 
so hard and I know I have in, in my history to, to fit in, to, you know, to want people to like us. And so we, we do things which are very interesting in a sense that, you know, they are not what the true self would do normally because if you like you're saying if you acknowledge that i'm actually okay i'm great as who i am without having to show off without having to you know demonstrate value or, or certain whatever it is and uh, you know there's these buzzwords all over the place <laughs> and it's kind of like i i'm I, I get that sense of tiredness i get you know i'm at the point where you know, when I was in North America, I just felt like I'd been beaten to, to death, really, in terms of trying to prove how valuable I am to, to people. <laughs> and, 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 like, F that, like, I just want to sit down with someone and have a real conversation and not have to prove anything to them and just be okay with that. Be okay with the fact that sometimes I'm very introverted. I don't want to be out. You know, I've been rejecting people left, right, and center this past six months, right? Because people see... I guess the type of person I am when I'm an extrovert because yes I do flash mobs and I do free hugs and these kind of things but I don't live every single day like that <laughs> like that's um, you know so I think there's a public persona and then there's a private persona mm. the challenge then is how do we is it possible that we can sort of have not two like it's a bit of dual versions of us and just have just one you know like this is just mm. me like what's been your like experience around that Wow, that is such an awesome question. Yeah, I'm just feeling that. That is, so, I, you know, that is probably the greatest thing, the greatest gift that I have taken out of this work that I've done. I mean, it has been a lot of work, and and that's I think it's important for people to understand that it's not going to happen overnight. You have to spend years doing that, but every inch that you get closer to living as your true self. It's such a revelation. It's such a relief, which is almost what you were describing. You know, it, it's incredible, like, oh, my God, I can just show up as myself. Uh, you know, I don't have to try. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to strategize. Like, I, I mean, all my life, I was someone who was always seeing myself from the outside. So no matter who I talked to, no matter what I did, I would be observing myself doing it was like watching a movie, you know, except it was exhausting and it wasn't any fun <laughs> because, you know, you're always like, oh, did I say that wrong? You know, oh my God, they probably think I'm crazy. And now it, it, I'm in a much more liberated place. And, you know, part of it is, is years. I just turned 44 and I have to say that, you know what, I'm happier now than I've ever been. And I, I anyone who's afraid of getting older, I just have to say that so far, every year for the last 10 years has gotten better. So there's a lot to look forward to when you do this work. If you don't do this work, um, I don't actually believe the old adage that, you know, that, that age brings wisdom. I know a number of people who are older who are even more messed up than they were before because they didn't do this work. The truth is that as you get older, that false self, that need to impress and pretend and whatever, get, uh, get attention and approval and validation it gets worse. If you don't work on it or at least develop awareness of it, it begins to sort of close around you. And I, I've seen this with some much older people, people in their 80s, when I used to visit my grandmother in the old folks home. And it's almost like their brain just locked into that and, and there's no fixing it now. You know what I mean? They're just sort of stuck there and there's, they're, they're suffering and it's so 
it's such an awful existence. I mean, that's part of what's driven my work is seeing things like that, seeing people who have been crippled by their false self. And then, you know, on the other side, seeing people who are living as their true self. And when I look at those two things side by side, I know this is what I need to do with my life. <laughs> you know, I need to, I need to show people how to do this because we all deserve to be happy. We all deserve to feel, you know, good about who we are and not need to feel so exhausted uh, pretending to be something that we're not, or, or afraid even to tell people, look, I'm tired. You know, I can't go to that party tonight or, you know, I can't be entertaining for you today, you know, because today I'm feeling introspective or I'm feeling fragile. I'm feeling vulnerable. I, you know, I just watched the news and I saw the war and I'm feeling, you know, really upset by it. I need to process it. I need time. And we're afraid to do that. You know, we always want to be like happy and, you know, <laughs> on. <laughs> uh, I, I, I laugh at that because that's, uh, you know, as you know, I interviewed John Martini recently and, and he just calls that out and he says that's BS. He says we have a society that preaches positivity because he came through the, the 80s, you know, be positive movement, if you want to call it that and positive thinking and all these kind of things. And he was saying, you know, something they shared with me was that, you know, life, there's two sides to it. And there's there's Mm -hmm. ups and downs, there's positive and negative, and it's balance. And the universe is always at equilibrium, always. But we are in a society or a culture that that pushes, you got to be happy, you know. Everyone wants to have the, uh, the dream life. Everyone wants to be, you know, the American dream, the Canadian dream, the Australian dream, whatever it is, you know, two houses, a picket fence and a car. <laughs> and it's just like, that's, that's crap because I saw my parents go through that process, you know, and, and they're in their 70s and mum passed away. But, and they did not come out the other side happy. They came out miserable. And they would say things like, I'm tired. I'm just tired. I spent 70 years of my life working to become happy. Uh, and half that time, I wasn't happy at all. The happiest time was when I was a kid, you know. And so to hear you say, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm at, the, at your stage of your life, to say, I'm actually happier now, I think that gives us a lot of hope. And I think that that's really positive. But you're also very and what I love about you is you, you're very straight with saying, you know what, there's a lot of pain involved in getting happy. Um, there is. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> right? So I want to ask you, so this is, you know, this is that old adage, pain is inevitable and suffering is optional. What's your take on that? Yeah, I like that. Yes, there is some pain that's inevitable and suffering is optional because suffering is when you decide you know, to sort of identify with that pain as opposed to sort of seeing yourself. What I teach my clients to do is to see themselves as a character in a story and to, you know, just like you would look at a character in a story, ask yourself, what turning points are they going through now? What character art? What are they learning? You know, what's happening right now? What's the big picture for this character? Where did it come from? And, And, you know, how can it go in a better direction? And when you do things that way, when you depersonalize your story and you stop identifying, you know, with me, 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 like Sean is in pain, you know, and I am the queen of that. Like I spent years living in self-pity, like years. (laughs) So I know what I'm talking about. When you learn to depersonalize and just go, oh, you know, Sean is having a bad day today. What does she need to do to sort of, what, what traditionally has worked for her or why is this happening? Why is she feeling this way? What is she believing her, about herself and about her life to cause her to feel this way? Then, it, you know, it's a lot easier to pull away from that. 
And obviously things like meditation help a lot with that because when you, when you do a lot of, and when I'm talking about meditation, I want to be clear, I'm talking about mindfulness meditation. There's a lot of different kinds of meditation that will not teach you what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is understanding yourself at a core level. And mindfulness does that because really all you're doing is sitting and observing yourself. That's it. You're watching your thoughts, you're watching your emotions, and you're not doing anything about them. So that practice has, is actually what made it possible for me to be someone who learned to, you know, smile a little bit more at what previously would have destroyed me. Like the smallest slight from someone when I was, you know, 10 years ago, I would stay home for two days and I would just be destroyed. You know, certainly if I went through a breakup, oh my God, like right a, right a month out of my life, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, it, now I, I, you know, here's the thing it gives you. It gives you resilience. You know, when, when I think that's the most valuable thing a person can have in this life and it leads to a much happier life and a much more successful life. And everyone I know who's very successful is, is resilient. And that resilience, it comes from living as your true self and being able to laugh at your false self. So it's not that you're not still going to get sad. It's not that you're not still going to get angry. You will. I do. It's not that I don't still wake up sometimes and feel sorry for myself and want to stay in bed all day. However, I now have the ability to sit back and see that character, Sean, and go, oh, I see what's happening. And I can smile about it and laugh about it and try to do something about it. And I'm not always successful. But the good thing is I don't feel bad about it. You know, that's the difference. I don't because what we do is we put like we feel bad about our pity, which is it's this really weird thing that happens like a domino effect. Right. Oh, I feel so sorry for myself. Oh, I feel so angry at myself for feeling sorry for myself. Oh, I feel so sad that I feel angry about feeling like it just keeps going, you know? Yeah, it's an endless, it's a brutal cycle. But I mean, my bottom line is just that you do, there is pain. I mean, life has pain. People will die. You know, your, your mother's going to die. Your father's going to die. Sometimes, you know, your friends, a, a number of my friends died over right from when I was 17 years old. I started losing people. So I got used to the idea that life is short, you know, that you've got to enjoy every moment. And I got used to the idea that people will leave, things will change. The problem happens when we actually have this illusion that things will stay the same, you know, that we'll always have the partner we have, that we'll always have the job that we have, that we'll always have the health that we have. That's what causes suffering is when we lie to ourselves <laughs> like that, because that's not the reality of, of of how the world works. Things are the one thing that you can count on is change. I absolutely agree with that. Hundred percent. Something came to my mind as you're sharing there. Okay, so because you, you've mentioned meditation practice, and I love that you made a distinction between mindfulness and other types of meditation, because I, I also feel the same. And the other thing there is that you talked about how it's it's not you know it's not about doing anything necessarily. What it is is just observing. And I think. There's so much we do to distract ourselves, and when I say we, I'm talking society at large, that, you know, things where it's like we're scared of being in stillness. We're scared of being silent, and, you know, and that's, that's an interesting observation. And I know I ran away from it for a long time until, I, you know, I went into the, the 10 days, and then when I was in there, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't 
and I, I tell people who, who who come to me and say, "Hey, should I do this this vipassana?" And I and I say to them, "Dude, like it's and same thing that you said. To, I remember you saying it to me. I said, you said it's freaking hard. Like it's damn hard. Don't expect that it's a holiday because it's not. <laughs> and that's the experience. It was heaven and hell at the same time. And I feel like that's what life is, you know. And when we don't attach to the the, the suffering, then we can move through it, and I think that's the, that's the idea, or at least that's mm. my sense of it. Okay, so if nice. we can, um, <laughs> yeah, I knew this is. I love how where this conversation is going, but that's how, that just happens when I sit with you. So, if we, if you could like distill or break it down to, let's go into the storytelling of people's lives, and that's the work that you mm-hmm. do with people now. So, if you know whoever's listening to this, if what what I guess are the practical steps if they're Looking at wanting to create liberation for themselves, uh, or or um, you know success, whatever that means, and, and everyone has their own interpretation of success. Then, what are the steps that they would that you would recommend they take to, to sort of at least get clarity on their story? Hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, what I what I do with people, uh, one of the main things that I do is I personally go through their first ten years of their life with them. However, I'm currently trying to create uh, some kind of book or something that helps people do that themselves. But what I would say is just sit down and write out only those experiences that had some kind of emotional impact. So I would say write down three uh, experiences that had a negative emotional impact, three experiences that had a really positive emotional impact before the age of 10. That's very important. And don't worry if it's if, if you don't need a lot of detail. Like a lot of people, struck, they say, "Oh, I can't remember anything." Just whatever level you can remember. Trust me, it's always enough. You you just you just need that basic stuff. And then when you're looking at that again, you want to put it in the context of your larger story. So what I call that is Act One of your life. Act One is from zero to age ten, and and to some extent also from eleven to twenty, but lesser. That's when things it's like input. You know, it's. It's, it's like you were a character that got shoved into a novel and you had no say in it. You know, it was all there. The parents were there. The environment was there. The problems were there. You know, the beliefs and everything were there. There was nothing you could do about it. Whether you were abused or you weren't, it doesn't matter because you had no say. It just was, it's what was there, you know. So, but it's important that you understand that that does shape, you know, the character that is you. So, the way that I do it is to help people sort of, de- again, depersonalize it, don't get caught up in it, and just write about it as though that person is a character in a novel, you know, as though it's not you. That's the way that, that it works best. And write out, at once you have created those experiences, you know, write a sort of summary of how that character, you know, was formed and how that shaped, you know, the way that that character dealt with future experiences and and it created what I call so act one is this is that you know this it's when your setting is created your environment all this stuff act two is when turning points start appearing and those are opportunities for growth they're usually painful but not always um you know (laughs) someone you know someone leaves you or you know um you, you know someone dies or you know, it could just be, or you went off to Asia for seven months, right? That's a major turning point. Or you got sick or whatever. But it's something that happened that it, it gave you an opportunity to grow. 
And most of those turning points, you can tie back to your early childhood years in some way, shape or form. Because again, remember, this is a character in a book and all books make sense, right? When you look at a novel, you say, oh, this character is doing this now because she did this when she was seven or when she was 12. So you need to learn to look at your life the same way. It's not different. You know, you are just a character in a novel and you are the author as well as the main character. I like that. I like yeah, the author of your story. That was, that was going to be my next question. It's like, well, who's the damn author? If I'm not choosing the character that's in the first act, who's choosing the uh, character for me? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, that's a, tr that's a tricky question, Amphan. I have my opinions on it, but, you know, they're pure conjecture. Right. You know, I believe that we become the author of our story after the age of about 18. So, you know, somewhere around there that's when it stops being like input and we start being able to create what we really want, you know? So we do become the author of our lives, but yeah, I mean, up for the first, you know, however many years, certainly up to age 10, to some extent from there to like our teens, we don't have a lot of control over, you know, what we're, what we're, some people do more than others if they're very raised with a lot of love and compassion and they have a sense of self, like the Kilberger brothers, for example, I don't know if you about them, they uh, do free the children and stuff like that. There are kids who they're raised as their selves. So even when they're 12 and 13, they're very powerful. Like they're very centered. They, they know who they are. <laughs> and that's the result of them, uh, them having that nurturing environment where people are like, yes, I accept your true self. I love your true self. But that almost never happens. I mean, that's, it's, it's so rare that those people stand out <laughs> in the world. We see them and go, whoa, you know, why are they like that? Yeah. We're going to wrap up in a second, but I just, what came to me in that moment when you're sharing that, you know, the, the creator or, or it's like the author who's, like you say, you get to, to a certain age and then you go, okay, now I can re rewrite the story, if you will. And there's something that Louise Hay wrote in, in her book, You Can Heal Your Life, which was, you know, what if, mm. we, what if we chose our parents? You know, if we came from that frame of the experiences that we have, you know, in the, the zero to 10 age, whatever, that range, we chose those experiences. We chose those people. We chose those, those now this is, we're going way out into like, you know, consciousness yeah. conversation now, but, um, yeah. I, you know, but I, I feel, hey, if you're listening to this and you're listening to me, you know, I'm going to be talking about this stuff. So that, that's, I find that fascinating. And that actually helped me a lot with dealing with the stuff that I was going through you know, when I moved to Canada. I had separation anxiety, had different things, you know, leaving my family and whatnot and, and like challenges I was going through with my, my, my parents at the time. And it actually helped me reframe, well, actually, if I consider that, those people are in my life for a reason and I'm here to learn from them, mm -hmm. then it's no coincidence that they're my parents. Um, it's no coincidence that, you know, I've got Sean as my friend or I've got whoever it is that I'm talking with, right? So I, I like that part of, that's personally for me, I, I enjoy having that realization and then I, I'm also big with what Deepak Chopra talks about is like synchronicity and like there are no coincidences things occur signs if you will um, that are always lit, lighting the way and it's almost like if you're the author you are sort of somehow subconsciously implanting those signs ahead of time um, mm -hmm. and, and we're sort of like following I feel that's kind of interesting yeah. yeah that's a whole we could have a whole different oh, conversation about that because i have as you know i have all kinds of spiritual ideas and and you know uh theories because that's of course what they are because i'm not dead yet 
but you know, I, I do believe in synchronicity. I have experienced it many times in miraculous ways that cannot be explained otherwise. And my view of that, that I do take is that the world is a, a mere reflection of who we are inside. So who we are inside is who we are outside. And so we're always going to be experiencing things outside that help us keep working on what's inside. So like the things that happen to us, they're not a form of punishment or torture or anything like that. It's not because we're bad. You know, it's kind of like a friendly reminder from our own true self saying, hey, like I'm here, like you need to learn this or, you know, you're not, your life's not going to get better. So yeah, there's this, there's this ongoing thing that happens because when, when people say you create your life, a lot of people get really angry because like, I didn't create that guy who cheated on me. I didn't, you know, but they're missing a very component that hasn't been explained a lot of the theories. And that is that there's two parts of you. There's your true self creating and there's your false self creating. They're both creating reality. And, you know, so what you're seeing is a result of those two things. It's not that you necessarily it like consciously it's happening subconsciously so that you will see it and it's so that you move in the direction of your best life i mean that life is a very it is a loving force there is a force of energy there that moves in the direction of growth and expansion and creativity and connection you know and there are lots of people who have examples about other uh, aspects of life and they exist as well, you know, but I think at its core, that's what life is. Life, life is this one whole complete connected thing. And uh, I guess where I'm going with that is to say just that when we get those synchronicities and we don't like them, the way that I teach my clients to look at it is, you know, don't worry about the spiritual aspects. Just look at it as information right? This thing has happened to you. It's information about something that you need to look at in yourself, something you need to look at in your life. So instead of getting all like philosophical about it, just look and try to figure out what that might be. So you can you know, avoid more pain and suffering. <laughs> right? <'Cause laughs> this, the, the universe will like, it, it's not really your, in my opinion, it's not the universe sending you this stuff. There's no universe outside that, that sends things at you. Like the universe did this to me. It's your higher self, your true self sending these things to you. So it's you sending messages to you, uh, you know, to help you, you know, better enjoy your life and live who you were born to. We just totally went down the matrix. But I love that. And, and a really good story, if anyone wants to sort of check into this concept, I think is Mitch Albom's The Five People You Meet in Heaven. I mm. think that that's a really great example of, you know, this concept that Sean's kind of sharing with, with us right now. Okay, so I, I, I love you sharing with me. Thank you so much, Sean. Where, where can people find out more about what you're doing and, and connect with your work? Yes, uh, please uh, drop by my blog. I blog weekly uh, about our purpose, about how to become your own damn guru, and uh, about a few other things as well, especially the true and false self. I do swear a lot, so I'll let you know in advance. <laughs> I'm trying to cut back, but it is a bad habit. My, my website address is www.shawnphelps.com. So that's S-H-A-W-N-P-H-E-L-P-S.com. 
called SeanPhelps.com. Check it out. Uh, I love the fact that you swear. I mean, tone it down if there's some people, but, you know, be true to you, whatever that means. It's uh, how I am in real life, you yeah, know. Yeah, right? Right. And that works for you, you know, like, hey, whatever. Okay, guys, and if you want to, like, subscribe to these podcasts and whatever, go ahead and do so. I'm going to invite more cool and interesting people to talk to. And, yeah, check in soon because we'll have some more interesting and exciting news coming up again sean phelps thank you so much for your time i love you and you're amazing and uh we'll be catching up soon back at you love you're awesome and your listeners are lucky to watch you i tell you <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i'm so sexy but anyway um all right have a good have well a good time, no I, that's not what i meant but not that you aren't sexy, but it, it's it's because you're an amazing you're an amazing interviewer and you have incredible insights to share with them, and that's something that I gain from you every time that we talk. So, yes, yeah, it, I, I stand by that. Thank you so much, and 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 you're welcome. Okay, guys, uh, thank you, everyone. See you soon, and take care. Thanks for tuning in, Warrior. I hope you got some great insights about yourself in this episode. You can find Sean's web URL and contact her uh, by checking out our show notes for this episode at www.transitionspodcast.com forward slash 005. And as promised at the beginning of the episode, I've got an announcement for you. If you're in Sydney and you're wanting help to improve your authenticity, self-confidence, marketing, and or sales so that you can take your business to the next level, then come along to supercharge your business on April 9. I'll be teaming up with transformational coach Nina Concepcion, confidence guide Ivan Chu, and sales growth expert Jenny C for this half-day workshop jam-packed with amazing insights and practical tips to help your business level up. Uh, You can also check out previous episodes of this podcast where I interviewed each one of those amazing people. There are only 20 seats, uh, so head along to www.sybevent.com to grab your ticket now. Uh, As Quick reminder, you can grab the show notes and all the links for this episode at www.transitionspodcast.com forward slash 005. So thanks again for tuning in and make sure you hit subscribe so we'll connect with you on the next episode. As always, live confidently and passionately. This is Anthony Chansmith signing out. <laughs>